You know you've got to sing along. Don't you know? This is the Cabinets HR Podcast, hosted by Jason Cabinets. Join Jason as he talks to small business owners, founders, and people in tech startups in HR. If you fall into one of these categories or are just curious about them, then this is the podcast for you. You will gain great insights from these great conversations. The Cabinets HR Podcast is brought to you by Cabinets HR. At Cabinets HR, we deliver HR to companies with 49 or fewer people by automating the HR process. We believe that you don't need a full-time HR person to receive full-time HR expertise. Hello, and welcome to the Cabinets HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Cabinets. Our guest today is LaShawn Greenhill. LaShawn, are you ready to be great today? Absolutely. LaShawn is a native Nashvillian. He is a CEO and co-founder of Sagents and founder of salescocktail.com. Prior to his current ventures, he founded Pishon Sales Outsourcing in 2016. He was selected by Google and Code 2040 to serve as an entrepreneur in residence at Google's Tech Hub. A graduate of the University of Memphis, he received his BBA with a concentration in MIS. He also completed the Building High Performing Business Executive Education Program at Dartmouth's Tech School, Tech School of Business. He has served and currently serves on numerous nonprofit boards, including the Metro National Municipal Auditorium as a commissioner, the Exchange Club Family Center, Young Leaders Council, and Girl and Girls Council of Middle Tennessee. So, LaShawn, you have a lot of stuff going on right now. You're a very busy person, like most of us are. But what, what, what are you focused on right now? What's, what's, what's your focus? Yeah, so I do a lot of speaking these days. As a matter of fact, next Wednesday, I'm speaking at the BizSmart conference in Kansas City for the Federal Reserve Bank of uh, Kansas City. So I speak on, um, I get asked a lot of times to speak, I should say, on two things, growth and tech enablement. And all of that kind of came out of a blog that I started writing about two and a half years ago called Sales Cocktail. So, um, you know, I, I'm doing that, still writing my blog around growth and tech enablement, um, and then also running Sagent, a software company, which is a supplier diversity automation platform. So from my point of view, I think a lot of business owners miss the opportunity to do a lot of public speaking, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I think ninety percent of business owners just work in their business and don't put themselves out there. Why is it important for business owners to actually do public speaking? Several reasons. Um, one, uh, it's great to build your sales pipeline. <laughs> Let me just get that one out of the way very quickly. Um, it's a great way to increase your your, your pipeline, your sales pipeline. Um, two, it it uh, provides you with a platform where you're considered an expert in whatever your subject matter is, uh, which uh, enhances your brand, whether that's personal uh, or professional. Uh, and then thirdly, I think public speaking um, is the best way, in a, in a lot of scenarios, it's the best way to share what you do and how you can help others. And it's the best way for others to truly grasp um, what's taking place to change that's taking, that's taking place around there. Well, the people out there who are introverts and they say, I'm an introvert, I can't do this public speaking thing. What advice would I have for them to get out there and start public speaking? Well, first of all, I want to say, look, I completely understand that public speaking is not for everybody. Just like starting a business is not for everybody. And I think we have to recognize that, right? 
everyone is not built to start a business. Everyone is not built to do public speaking. That doesn't mean, though, that uh, if you're an introvert, that you can't become comfortable um, with public speaking. One of the things that I would suggest that you do is uh, something that I did when I was in high school, which is probably where the foundation of me doing speaking started. And that is I participated uh, in Toastmasters, which is an organization, international organization. They have hundreds of chapters, thousands of chapters, I would say, around the world. Whatever city your listeners are in, I'm sure they have a chapter there. Join Toastmasters um, and uh, begin to start slow, I would say, through Toastmasters. But join Toastmasters, go and observe what takes place there. And as you get comfortable with how your local chapter is ran, I would suggest that you um, join it. Here I am, I don't know, 20, 25 years later, and I am going back through Toastmasters. I'm about to go back through it. So you're never too old for it. And, you know, being 41, uh, I felt it was time for me to kind of refresh uh, some of my skills. I like that. You know, even if you think you're good at a skill, you can always get better at it and refresh. I like that a lot. Absolutely. So you do a lot of giving back to the community, a lot of nonprofits work you do. Why is it important to you to give back to your community? And why do you do that? Uh, so first of all, I think I think you have to recognize, people should recognize that I live in the city. This doesn't just apply to my city, but I do think the amount of giving that takes place on a, per, a corporate and professional level is in some cases unheard of in the way that the, the corporations and companies in Nashville are connected to the nonprofits. Um, and in Nashville, uh, Corporations and companies such as mine, we encourage not only our leadership, but our employees um, to volunteer. And also, we encourage them to not only volunteer through their time, but th- with their expertise by sitting on the board. We, I think that that's important because um, nonprofits are tackling some very important issues that are impacting our local economy, our local society global and international economy and society. And I think we all have to work together to solve some of those social concerns that we have. Um, and so that's the reason why I, I think it's important. One thing that makes a laugh when people say, oh, this is a nonprofit and not a real business. There's no difference between a nonprofit and a business, how you run it, except for the tax code, right? You still got to make money, bring money in. You still have, have marketing sales. It's still a business, right? That's the only difference. i tell you a funny story going to that point. So in 2006, I was selected as president and chairman or elected as president and chairman of the junior chamber. I was a young 26-year-old at the time, 26, 27-year-old. And as part of my learning, um, what I did is I set up two or three meetings with area nonprofit presidents and executive directors, individual meetings, that is. And I want to ask them, you know, my first question to all three of them in separate meetings was, what's the difference between a for-profit and a non-profit? And to a T, they all told me absolutely nothing. In both cases, you got expenses and you got revenue. The only difference is, is the way the RS looks at you. If you don't have enough revenue to cover your expenses in a non-profit, guess what? You won't be able to provide the services to the, to the community you want to. So there's no difference. Yeah. And you still got to hire people. So I let people go. I mean, it's everything's yep. the same. It's the same. 
So they start competing for dollars too. They compete for dollars just like we compete for customers. Yes. And not only that, it's hard. I think it's hard to bring on people for a nonprofit because you can't pay them and pay them as much. So it's even harder to bring talent on, I would think. Uh, I, I would absolutely agree with that. Yes. So for your company, Sales Cocktail, talk about how that came about, what your vision is for your company. So Sales Cocktail actually came about, uh, I've been owning that domain for about 10 years. And it wasn't until three years ago that I decided to activate it. And really what it started out as is just me writing a blog. And the blog was about, it was the subject matter was growth, tech enablement. And the audience that the blog is, is for is SMB, small, medium-sized businesses, and MWBEs, minority women business enterprises. So it came about with me writing a blog to that audience on those two subjects. And about two or three months into me writing this blog, I started getting uh, interest across the nation from people asking me, do I provide the services that I write about? And at the time, I didn't. And after about nine months of getting inquiries on a regular basis, uh, one of my advisors just said, I think you need to figure out how to monetize this. So that's what we did. We, we decided to monetize it through um, advisory services. So what, what services do you provide? Just regular sales outsourcing? Do you provide advice? What, what do you actually do? No, we don't do sales outsourcing. So Pyshawn, I did have a sales outsourcing firm called Pyshawn. That's what I did from 2005 till about 2011. I'm not interested in doing sales outsourcing anymore. This is more, the difference between sales cocktail and Pyshawn is Pyshawn, we would build a strategy. Uh, build a team around that strategy, manage that team, execute that strategy with the team. Team would be on my payroll. They'd work for Jason. They'd be in your office. <clears throat> the difference between Python and Sales Cocktail is we do everything except for hiring, firing, and executing on the strategy. We help you build the strategy. We hold you accountable to the strategy. We help you identify technologies to execute the strategy, but we do not hire the people or manage the people. For sales cocktail, is there a certain size company you're targeting a certain industry? No certain industry, but I would say in terms of size, most of our companies are about 50 employees and below. Most of our clients, 50 employees and below. And this is nationwide that you're doing this? It is. How have you been getting people to, to come on and use your service? What's speaking. It? Speaking, yeah. Speaking. Per perfect time. Correct. Yeah. Literally speaking, yeah. And all of my speaking came out of, uh, out of individuals looking at my blog. And I started getting requests to go and speak. I, I spoke uh, in July. I spoke at, um, <clears throat> in Chicago at the Fair Reserve Bank. Um, I was up there at a business conference. Speaking next week in Kansas City at the Fair Reserve Bank. <clears throat> I just got a uh, request this week to come back to Chicago for a larger conference that they're doing. Uh, so speaking is how I've, I've become, uh, how I've built the pipeline for a sales cocktail. So, so the more you do speaking, have you found public speaking to get it easier each time you do it? Or is this, you know. Well, I always get nervous before I speak. Uh, I think it's, I think when you get to the point where you're not nervous, before a big gig, then you're probably too comfortable, right? Yeah, I'm the same way. If, I, if, I, if I'm not nervous, I don't know I'm about to. I'm not, if I'm not nervous, I don't, I don't know I'm about to bomb it. If I'm not yeah. nervous, so 
I always am nervous before I go on stage. Um, but yes, to answer your question, you do get better at it. Just like with anything, the more you do it, the easier it becomes, the more comfortable, the more comfortable you become with it, um, and the better the presentation is. So yeah, it, it becomes easier, but I still get nervous. So of course, everyone says that has a business, you know, sales is the most important thing. We got to do sales, but no one wants to do sales, right? They're like, it's right. the most important thing, but I'm not going to do it. You know, it's kind of hypocritical. How right. do we convince business owners? No, you got to take the time and, and do sales yourself. You need to do sales. Uh, I think their bottom line should convince them. I can't convince them. If they're not making money, then I don't know what else is going to convince them that they have to do sales, right? Um, at the same time, I understand, and this was the reason why I started Pyshawn Sales Outsourcing some years ago, is I recognized that a lot of people aren't built for sales. Go to the same point I said earlier, some people are not built to speak. Some people are not built to start a company. Some people just aren't built for sales. <clears throat> and it's, you know, sales is one of the, it is a um, dog-eat-dog world, right? Uh, hand-to-hand combat, and you're very uncomfortable calling on people who don't know you. So if you're not comfortable with doing that, then you need to find someone who can help you do it. When, when should somebody bring in an outside salesperson? Like should a business owner say, you know what, I got to bring in my first $10,000 of revenue and then pass it on. Or should somebody say, you know what, I, I don't, I'm not good at sales. I know I'm not. Let me bring someone in right, right now. I definitely think you need to learn your company. You know, if, you, if you're building a company or whether that's a product or service, you need to be able to, you need to know that company and that product or service in and out so that when you do bring someone in, you can coach them on exactly what your company is about because you've got to set the culture. And if you got someone selling for you, they need to understand your company before you put them in front of a potential client, right? So you need to know your company in and out. Um, because we, if you do hire someone outside to come in and sell, they're going to they're going to have a list of questions for you before they get comfortable with sitting in front of a prospective client, or at least they should. All right, if they don't have a list of questions for you to learn your company, you should you should you should look at that with 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 you know with some skepticism that particular person or company. So yeah, you should you should no matter how uncomfortable you are with the sales process, you should. Know your company, know your product and service, so that when I question you about it, if you want me to sell it for you, there are no gaps in what I learn about what you do, why you do it, how you do it, and who you do it for. What's your philosophy on cold calling? Like, so somebody just randomly call people they don't know and, and try to sell them, they should do some kind of research. What's your, what's your philosophy on cold calling? Well, today the sales landscape has changed, right? Now you got inbound versus outbound. Back then it was pick up the phone, call someone, get a, get get the phone book, call a number in there without really knowing if they were a, a client, a, a prospective client. Today you got so much data at your fingertips that you can really drill down on who you want to call before you even pick up the phone. You do that by putting together what we call an ICP, an ideal customer profile, right? Helps you understand how the person thinks, um, the demographics, uh, psychographics, and the actionable insights into a particular individual or a company, right? <clears throat> so the cold call today is a lot easier. It should be because if you're doing marketing and you understand who you're about to call, you have enough information up front to make that call a lot easier or a lot more comfortable for you. You're just not picking up a random number and calling it anymore. 
you're calling someone who you've identified, at least on the front end, that you have a certain level of uh, understanding wants or needs your product. So it should be an easier call today. Yes. So on your LinkedIn, you have a video that you did a, a while ago where you talk about yep. reasons to adapt software as a service. Yeah. And put your business in the cloud. Can you talk about that a little yeah. bit? Because the stats are right. Like, it's amazing how many people are still doing things like, quote unquote, the old way. So can you talk about that a little bit? The main reason to adapt fast is because it saves you money. I mean, that's just really what it boils down to. It saves you money um, and, it, and it can help you expedite, you know, or execute certain strategies a lot quicker. That's really what it boils down to. Um, so, yeah, I think you're talking about the stats around. Some, one stat I have in that video is <clears throat> using SaaS platforms. There was a study that was done by Microsoft, I think it was. And they show that that in 2018, over 725 million work hours alone were saved by using SaaS platforms and apps. Right? 725 million work hours. That's a lot of money. Right? So, yeah, using SaaS, it, it, it helps you speed up execution. And, it, and, and at the end of the day, it, it should increase your margins. What what are the reasons companies don't use SaaS? Is it just because they're like they're, they're scared of tech, or what's some of the reasons you've come across? Many reasons. One, they don't even know what 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 exists that can help them. Right. Two, there's a learning curve that they just don't want to take on. And three, when you Google, let's say for, say for instance, you Google CRM, you looking for something, what's going to happen? You get a list of a hundred different CRMs that you now have to try to go through and figure out what's best for me, right? And so I think you get analysis paralysis when you look at so much and like, I don't even want to fool with it because I don't know what's best for me. And so I think those are some of the top, I think those are three reasons why companies don't really dive into how technology can you can help them. Makes, that makes sense. I understand you have something for our listeners today. Yeah, so um, we talk about SaaS, right? We talk about apps that I believe can help small businesses accelerate their growth. Uh, I've put together a PDF um, form of, I think it's maybe 15 different SaaS platforms that we've used personally within our company uh, and that I talk about when I do my presentations. And for your listeners who want that PDF file, if they want to, they can just text uh, Sales Cocktail the word sales cocktail to 615-510-6364. Once again, text sales cocktail to 615-510-6364. And can you share your social media for yourself and your company so people can reach out to you? Yeah, so for LinkedIn, I mean, for Twitter, uh, my, my personal uh, Twitter address is LS Greenhill. My um, sales cocktail is literally at sales cocktail. And for Sagents, it's at Sagents. Um, we are not, I am not personally on Facebook, um, uh, but my, my sales cocktail company is on, sale, on Facebook. So you can look up sales cocktail on, on, on Facebook. And for our listeners, we'll have the link to his resource and his social media links on our show notes. And you can find the show notes at www.cabrishrblog.com. So let's talk about salespeople real fast. What advice mm-hmm. should I have for, for a, a business owner has no sales experience? He's, you know, he's done sales and stuff for like three or four months. He's got his revenue. 
Now he's like, I, I need to bring on some salespeople. What advice should I have for this person to actually hire the salesperson? What should they be looking for? Look for culture fit before you look for anything else. You can teach someone sales skills or they can go out and acquire sales skills through training. But when you're talking about a salesperson, you're talking about someone that's going to be sitting in front of prospective clients and current clients, and they're going to be representing your company. So you want to make sure that that person is a culture fit. They are, salespeople are in front of more people or just as many people uh, and representing the company as the owner or the founder is, right? So they are an extension of your brand. They are a mouthpiece for your company. So number one, look for culture fit. Um, and then start looking at the skills. Uh, and when I say skills, I'm talking about the soft skills, communication, uh, the presence. You know, how do they present themselves when they're, when they're in the presence uh, of, of people? Once you get past the soft skills, then you start looking at the actual um, uh, experience that they have in terms of sales. What is, what is their background in sales? What, what, what type of sales are they, are they, in, are they used to? Um, what size businesses are they used to selling into? Are they looking at, are they normally selling into, into SMBs or are they normally selling into uh, large corporations? That's when you start looking at that. So I think those are the, the three areas in that order that I always tell sales or founders or owners to look at. One is culture fit, two are the soft skills, and then three are the, is the actual sales background of the, of, of the person. So follow-up question. When should you let a salesperson go? Like, like if they don't miss, miss the, like they miss the quota for a certain number of months or they have a certain number of sales, when should you let a salesperson go? Like how much time should you give them to train up? That, that's a hard question to answer because, you know, every product has a different sales cycle, right? Uh, you hire someone that has a sales cycle of nine months doing RFP, um, you know, and they don't, they don't complete the RFP uh, sufficient enough, then maybe it's time to let them go. But that's a nine-month sales cycle, right? If you got, if your sales cycle is several weeks or several days, um, and they're not producing, say your sales cycle is two weeks long. I'm just throwing a number out there. And after four months, they haven't produced one sale, but they've had a lot of great leads. Then you should start probably looking at why that's taking place. Now, here's what I would say. You have to make sure as the owner that you've set that salesperson up for success. It may not be, they may not be the only reason why they're not closing deals. It may be that you haven't set them up for success and better understanding what the product is about, how to sell it, who your ideal client is, uh, understanding the product and uh, service profile, uh, understanding how the product is positioned or needs to be positioned in the market, what the customer experience looks like and all of that. You need to make sure that you have um, uh, the resources in place that when you bring that salesperson on, that you set them up for success. That's good advice. Yeah, I like that a lot. Just say, hey, salesperson, and just put them in a vacuum. They, it's a collaborative process. A lot of people have to work with them. Yes. Yeah, Absolutely. So, salespeople have the shortest, they have the shortest uh, uh, leash when it comes to, to a company. They're, when they come in, they come in with a quota, a quota on their back, right? All salespeople do. And, and I don't know of another uh, department that really does. And so you, when, if you're going to bring someone in with a quota up front on their back, you need to make sure that you set them up up front for success. And if they can execute based on how you set them up for success, then maybe they're not the right person. Yeah. And like suppose the marketing gave them 10 leads, but 10, the, 10 leads are like unqualified. So they're, they're right. set up for failure right there. 
you can't you can't put that entire blame on them if they're getting leads that are really not qualified. So we'll come to the end of our talk now. Can you provide our listeners any wisdom or advice on any subject you'd like to talk about? I think I'm going to reference something that I said earlier that was in reference to your question is, you know, if you're a small business, be sure to consider very early on how SaaS platforms can help your business. I will say that, you know, I mentioned earlier one of the reasons why small businesses don't use technology is because when they Google it, they get so many options, they don't know which one is best for them and they just give up. On our website, Sales Cocktail, that is, we have we have a recommendation engine where you can type in, it's going to ask you five questions. I think it's five. The size of your company, the industry that you're in, the type of software you're looking for, and then like your name and email. I think those are the five. And then based on how you answer those questions, it will spit out a recommended list of platforms that fit the criteria you just entered in, in, in there. And so that, and there's no cost for that. You know, we put that out there. There's no cost for that. And the reason why we did that is because we want small businesses to get over this analysis of trying to figure out what to do and what to use. So I guess that that's a long way of saying use technology to increase your bottom line. <laughs> exactly. Hey, thank you for your time today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for, uh, for the opportunity. And hopefully one day I can return the favor. And to our listeners, thank you for your time as well. And remember to be great every day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cabinets HR Podcast. Be sure to connect with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok at Cabinets HR. Also check out our weekly live streams at the Cabinets HR Facebook, Twitch, YouTube, and Periscope, where we focus each week on an HR topic important for small business. These are every Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time and last around three minutes. To join our weekly HR email newsletter list, send us an email to Jason Cabinet at cabinetshr.com. Thank you, and remember to be great every day.